you guys have to guess what I'm about to draw. Yeah, right now. I'm going to draw it. You have to guess it. Yeah. It's going to be very exciting. Okay. And you have to yell it out. So you yell it out just as loud as you like. As soon as you know what it is. Anytime. Nope. Just when you know what it is, just yell it out. No. No. I'm definitely not that spiritual today. Donut? Nope. No. It's so obvious. It's so obvious. You're going to be punching yourself when you find out a dot. A, a what? A winner! We have a winner. It's a full stop. Perhaps, perhaps we've magnified in on it. You should see the size of the sentence. It's going to be out here. That's a well done, Greg. Good job. Again, depends how big your font is, right? Size 1000 font. All right. The guy who invented this was Aristophanes of Byzantium. He was a Greek playwright in the third century and he invented the full stop. Um, and it, what, when he invented it, he called it the terminal dot. So it wasn't a full stop, it was a terminal dot. Now, there was also, this, the, the full stop actually existed where it is in that picture. And it took 12,000 years for it to migrate from where it is there to where it is there. Yes. And on its way down, when it was at the top of the sentence, it was a full stop. If it was in the middle, it was a semicolon. And if it was down the bottom, it was a comma. But it took 12,000 years for the scribes to get totally jack of it and decide we're just going to go with one dot called the full stop. A full stop or a terminal dot implies something is finished. It's stopped. There is no more. It is done. It's ended. It's fully stopped. It was like Catherine Poulou of a French, she was a French shop assistant and she found herself in a northern French court one day after her boyfriend had left her. And she was very upset about this, that her boyfriend had left her. And in a world where call blocking had yet to be invented, she had called her boyfriend that had then left her 3,987 times in 10 days. That's about 400 phone calls a day. That is a giant full stop, Catherine. Like time to give up. Time to accept it. Now Easter, Good Friday especially, is like a giant full stop. It's the end. It's finished. It's done. We follow Christ. Ah, and he dies in a tomb. We thought he was our Messiah and our Saviour and it's now finished. It finished with this agonising humiliating, slow, excruciatingly painful suffocation on a cross. And when the author Mark is reflecting on it and telling the story, he says in Mark 15, verse 46, he tells, he says, so Joseph, and Joseph wasn't one of the 12, but he was hanging out with the disciples. He bought some linen cloth. He took down Jesus' body. 
He wrapped it in linen and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. The stone mentioned is a giant rock. It's three meters in diameter. And it was rolled down a narrow gully so that when it came to rest across the face of the tomb, there was no moving it. There was no shifting this rock under any circumstances. It was there for two reasons. One, to keep the smell and disease of the body in the tomb. And two, to keep would-be robbers from entering the tomb and stealing either the body or elements on the body. The stone itself weighed between one and two tons. This was a massive stone. It was a giant full stop. Now, we all have full stops in our lives. We all have full stops. If we wrote them in a sentence, your sentence might be, the kids are stressing me out of my mind and I can't exactly ever escape them. Full stop. I can't stand that person at work, but neither of us are leaving anytime soon. Full stop. No matter how much we try to improve our marriage, it doesn't seem to get where we want it to go. Full stop. I really hope that people don't discover that secret that I've been harboring. If they did, it would be the end of everything. Full stop. I cannot believe that that friend I gave so much to, I gave my heart to, I helped, I poured my life into, has just up and ignored me and ghosted me. Full stop. I wish I wasn't so angry. And it flares up when I'm not looking for it and it surprises me when it does and there's always this trigger but I can't see it coming and I don't know what to do. Full stop. I want to follow God. I want to do his will. But I just don't know what to do. I just don't know how to get there. Full stop. I wish people could see that I'm not okay. Because I'm not okay, but I don't know how to talk about it. Full stop. See, we all have giant full stops. Maybe yours is one of those. Maybe it's a whole host of other options. Things we cannot get past. Things we can't seem to break open and move Past, and we're not the only ones. The disciples, they had their full stop. Before they went to the tomb in Mark 16, they asked each other, well, when we get there, who's going to roll away the stone from the tomb? Like, have you seen the size of it? These things were meant to never be moved. They're on their way, you see, to anoint Jesus' body. It was the last act you would do for someone you loved, to anoint their body with herbs and spices. It was partly cultural, partly um, hygiene. But they had a big problem because the stone had been rolled in early. The Romans had rolled the stone in early because they didn't want his disciples pinching the body and saying, look, he rose again. So they'd been a bit smart about it. So they're asking the question, who will roll away the stone? But they still went to the tomb. They still went. They knew the stone was going to be there, but they still went with no way to move the stone. They still moved toward Jesus. Cool as that. They still moved toward Jesus, even when it, every indication was, don't bother. You might be here today, where you are here today, because you are moving toward Jesus. That's why we come to worship, to move toward Christ. And for some of you, it might have been tough. You might have had a tough week and everything was saying, don't, don't go. And yet you came. For some of you, you can't see past that giant full stop. 
that I've just raised and I might not have said it, but it's raised in your consciousness and you go, I can't see past it. I don't know what to do. It's so significant. We can't get around it. It shouldn't be the case. But even for Christians who believe that God conquered death by what Jesus did on the cross, we can find ourselves believing that the stone is still in front of the tomb. We shouldn't. We believe Jesus is alive, but sometimes when we look at our situation in life, we go, the rock's still there and no one can move it. God is not powerful enough to move that stone from the entrance to the tomb. It's a big, fat, full stop. It's like the other big, fat, full stops in my life. And here's the thing. Here's the thing about a full stop. That God... wants to turn the full stop into a comma. What we see as the end and a full stop that we can't get past, God sees as a comma and an opportunity to keep writing our story. God wants to turn your full stops into commas. If we were hanging out with Aristophanes of Byzantium, the Greek playwright, he would say, God wants to move your terminal stop down the bottom of the sentence. Now, you may have heard of this guy. His name is Timothy Keller. And Timothy Keller was a, a, been a pastor in New York City, one of the most difficult cities in the world to spread the gospel for 50 years. He started new churches that were culturally um, relevant all across the city. They were created to deeply connect with the neighborhoods that they were in. And after 30 years of effective ministry, he decided to start writing about it. It was quite amazing that he started writing one book and then two books, and he must be up to about 50 books now. He writes about six books a year, and it takes me about a year to read one of those books. Like they're deep, profound, powerful books. He writes about the problem of evil. He writes about how to uh, make cult like churches culturally um, effective. He talks about how to have healthy marriage. He talks about why do good people suffer evil in this world. He's the founder of a church planting movement called City to City, of which Village Church are actually a part of. He is one of the most influential voices in the Western worldwide church. But a few years ago, three years ago, he went to the doctor and he received the news that he had pancreatic cancer. And my uncle died of pancreatic cancer. It is brutal and it is quick and it is unforgiving. But Tim, when he heard these news, he didn't see it as a death sentence. Instead, he leant into God. He did all that the doctors asked him to do. He kept on writing. He kept on mentoring young leaders. He kept helping this worldwide movement of church planting. And then the other day, Three years on, he was interviewed by a guy called John Dixon. John Dixon is an Aussie, used to be a pastor minister. He's now a full-time Christian historian that works at helping the Christian faith be understood by the secular world. And in their conversation, John asks him and brings up this, uh, this uh, story that he's been dealing with of pancreatic cancer. And Tim Keller says these words in an interview about two weeks ago. I'm at a good spot where I can say I actually might have years left. On the other hand, I might not at all. And it's really important for me to live with a certain amount of hope both ways. I've got absolute hope in Christ, but I've also got the possibility that God might say, yeah, you know, 
I've got some surprises up my sleeve before I take you home. It's kind of nice to have it both ways. I'm in a win-win situation. God wants to turn full stops into commas, right? And many would see pancreatic cancer as a giant full stop. I've just been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. My life is over. It's done. I'll just await my death. But God turns commas, God turns full stops into commas, which is what happened for the disciples. Mark 16, 4, when they looked up, they get to the tomb and they look up and they saw that the stone, which was very large, Mark makes a point of saying it was huge, like it was there, it was massive, had been rolled away. These stones were never meant to be rolled away. That's not why they were designed. They were even sealed with tar around them. So there was no budging this thing. It was absolutely impossible to move one of the stones. Full stop. But God turns full stops into commas. Deal Moody, who lived in the 1800s in America, had the most amazing beard. (laughs) Inspired by one of the greats. It's not the only thing he did. It's not the only thing he did. He had an incredible impact on the world. He was one of the world's greatest evangelists. And in 1872, just after the Civil War had concluded, he got an invite, and this is before he'd had a profound impact on the world, he had an invite to travel from the States over to England to preach in a number of English churches. And so he took the opportunity because he loved every opportunity to share the gospel, and he went to England. And on his first appointment in England, he was in London preaching to a morning congregation. And he stood up and the place was full and he preached his heart out. He gave it everything he had. There was nothing left and the place was dead. There was no response. There was no reaction. There was no movement. It was like he was preaching to the dead. It was a giant full stop. He sits down, dejected. Service concludes. One of the elders comes up to him and says, Dwight, that was amazing. Would you consider coming back? And he's like, <laughs> no, <laughs> got to be kidding. Did you not see what I saw? He's like, oh, it was a tough crowd. But if you come back to the evening service, it'll be different. He's like, oh, I don't know. But D.L. Moody wasn't one to take, God, take situations as a full stop. He's like, no, maybe there's a comma here. And so he spent the afternoon praying. And as he prayed, he felt a real urgency to come back and preach. Didn't enjoy the urgency, but he felt it. So he told the elders, they announced that he was preaching, and he came back to another packed house. It is said of that evening that it was the start of the greatest revival across England. The atmosphere was entirely different right from the get-go. The response was so big and so great that he had to come back the next night and the next night and the next night and the next night just to minister to the people that responded in that first service. The lives and eternities of hundreds and thousands of people all across England were changed because God turns full stops into commas. But Moody was intrigued. It's like, what went on between the morning and the evening? What was going on? And so he started asking around. And in his investigation, he was led to a fascinating story. There had been a lady, a very spiritual lady, who'd been part of the congregation and been coming for years. And she actually was now bedridden at home. And as a result of her being bedridden, her sister would come to church and would find out and listen to everything and then go back to her uh, bedridden sister and tell her all about it at lunch on Sunday. 
every, every week was their, their schedule, their ritual. And so this particular Sunday, D.L. Moody preaches, and the sister is sitting in the congregation and rushes home to her bedridden sister and says, you would not believe what happened this morning. I heard the most incredible preacher I've ever heard. The, the bedridden sister said, well, what was his name? She said, his name's D.L. Moody. And she said, ah, today I will have no lunch. I will pray. You see, she'd written, read an article two years earlier by D.L. Moody, and she'd been so captured by what he, he uh, presented and talked about that she knew that if he could come to her church, it would make a difference. And she, she had been praying every day for the last two years that God would bring D.L. Moody to England, to London, to her church, to preach, to bring revival. And the rest is history, right? God turned a full stop into a comma because God had permission to write the rest of the sentence. Permission that was birthed out of the humble obedience of a woman that said, I just want more of God for me and more of God for people and I'm hungry for it and I'm just going to lean into it. Now, I don't know about you, but I think Village has been butting up against the full stop. Probably a couple, actually. And I think God wants to rewrite or wants to continue writing the rest of the sentence and say we're too eager to hold on to the pen. In all ways, shapes and forms. But I think if we were to narrow it down, I think we've settled for a mediocre spirituality. A westernized spirituality that's neat and tidy and we can be in control of. But at the same time, we live with a giant frustration that there's got to be more of God. Am I, am I on track? Are we, we just say that resonates in your heart. It resonates in my heart. I see it in me. I see it in us. I see it in every other church. We settle for less than what God wants for us. And I am gradually being convinced that that's a sin. It's actually a sin for us to settle we're really good at justifying our sin, <laughs> at, at living with our sin, at managing our sin, at denying the effect of our sin. But we will never know who God truly fully is and what God truly fully wants if we continue to settle with that full stop. And we go, oh, well, we're there, we're saved. Settling is a full stop. God does not want full stops for his church. It is a movement. It's a movement. It's not meant to be the full stop at the, start, at the end of every week. It's meant to be the launching pad into the week as God moves powerfully. A movement that is full of commas and void of full stops. And that's what the disciples discovered on Easter morning. That God will take full stops and make them into commas if they move toward Jesus. As they entered the tomb... They saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. That is a nice way of Mark saying they were freaked out of their minds. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified? He's risen. He is not here. He is risen. You see, Jesus can change our full stop into a comma because he changed the greatest full stop that humanity has ever faced, death, into a comma. 
Everything else is easy. The hardest thing for anyone to grapple with is death. And Jesus says, watch. I'm going to make it into a pause before I go on to write the rest of your sentence. You see, when, when Jesus was resurrected, death lost its grip on Christ. And Jesus says, have my life. And when we take hold of Jesus' life, death loses its grip on us. And then we're meant to cling to that life so dearly as though our lives depend on it. Because they do. Fifteen years ago, there was a woman in Melbourne called Kimberly Deer. She had a lifelong dream to be a skydiver. She wanted to go skydiving. Any other people with that lifelong dream? I do, yeah. You might not after this story. And so when she was on holidays in Missouri in the US, she, um, she uh, found a skydiving school and she joined the skydiving school and they trained her in the afternoon and they put the gear on and they, they put her and a few others in the plane and they took the plane up. About halfway to its altitude that it needed to reach, the plane started having problems and the engine completely cut out and they realized they were in absolute diabolical trouble. And as that happened, the moment that happened, Russell Robert Cook, who was the, um, her instructor, took her by the shoulders, held her gently and looked her straight in the eyes and said this, as the plane is about to hit the ground, make sure you're on top of me so I take the force of the impact. The plane crashed. Several, were di several died, including Robert Cook. But Kimberly survived. When she woke up in hospital a little while later, she said to the, the nurse and the people there, she said, I remember just before impact, he pushed his head against my shoulder to cushion the blow. And that's what Jesus does for us. Jesus absorbs the impact of our full stop to make it into a comma. He absorbs our sin. It's no longer ours. We're free, saved by his life. Jesus absorbs our laziness and our mediocrity and our consumerism and our lethargy and our excuses and our avoidance and our denial and our self-righteousness and our busyness and our stress and our anxiety and all the rest of it. He absorbs it all, all of our sin, so that he can offer us life. He takes on the impact of that we're not meant to. Your full stop is just a comma to God if you'll allow him to write you the rest of the sentence. And so the next sentence in the passage we've been reading, it starts with two words. In verse 7, it says, but go. So the angel has told them all this, and then he says, but go. Jesus has left the tomb. The stone has been rolled away. It's all different. It's all changed now. Go find him. Go follow him. Go be with him. Go love him. Go pursue him. Go obey him. Be with him at all costs. Go. And they went. And they went. And we are here today because they went. It's incredible. Now we see what happens when we read Acts. We see how it all panned out, how the early church went. And Acts is brilliant, but gosh, it's frustrating. 
And I'll tell you why it's frustrating. It's meant to be the instruction manual for how to run a church. Yeah, it is. It's meant to be what you should do, how you should function, what decisions you should make, how they first did it, and you're meant to replicate it, right? That's, that's the idea. The greatest frustration is the lack of information about what they actually did when they gathered to worship. There's hardly anything in there at all. It doesn't tell you about how much they sung or what songs they sung. It'd be helpful, right, to know the songs that they sung. We could sing them and we could be as holy as they are. We don't know if they did announcements or a welcome. We don't know if they did a Bible reading or they just read Paul's ramblings from the other places that didn't quite get a mention in the, in the final canon that we have. We don't know if they preached, for how long they preached. They could have preached for five hours and you guys are like, yes, glad I'm here today because we're about at the end. Maybe they preached for five minutes and you're like, oh, it's been so long. We just don't know. But when you carve it all back, we do know what they did do. And it's repeated time and time and time again. The one thing that seems to be the absolute staple of a gathered church. The one thing that defined the church of the first century was that they prayed together. They prayed together. They didn't pray where somebody stood up like Paul or Peter or John and said, let me tell you how to pray and I'm going to pray and you guys just think it in your hearts. No, no, they prayed together and they did it heaps. Every time they met, it was so important. They prayed like their lives depended on it. And you know what? The more you pray, the more you realize your life does depend on it. They prayed deeply and carefully and slowly and passionately until it became powerful. And it took that momentum, that build of momentum and that build of obedience and that build of yearning to become powerful. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to pray. We're going to break up into groups of three or four and no cheating, no more than that. It just doesn't work. Too many people, three or four. Let's put that screen on, Pete. And when you're in that space, I don't want you to, we're not going to rush today. We don't have to be somewhere. And maybe you did have to be somewhere, but you don't anymore. And we're going we're gonna to pray slowly. And we're going to start by just sitting in that space and allowing ourselves to just calm our spirits and come together to that point of prayer. And I find it really helpful to pray the prayer, God, just search my heart. Like if there's things that are not right in my heart, bring them to mind because I want to confess them. I want them to be out of the way so I can be a vessel for you. And then at the right moment, and somebody in your group, it'll be fine. It might be you. Someone in your group at the right moment will just invite the Holy Spirit to come and to speak. And then I want us to pray in line with whatever the Spirit gives us. And it may be a lot or it may be nothing. It may be a single topic. It may be a whole myriad of different things. It may, it may be about something specific that's going on in your life that God's like, good, I've got people around you. I want you to get some prayer for that. Or it might be about something that you're like, I don't even know why this has come to mind, but I just want to pray it. And we'll pray and we'll build on those prayers. Or it might be a prayer that sits alone. It's not a science, but we're going to enter into the presence of God and allow him to minister to us. And when it feels right, we'll sort of move out of that space. Whatever that looks like, we'll work it out when we get there. Well, let's do that now. So jump into groups of three or four, just around.